Welcome to another episode of How You Can Chew with your host, your boy, Alvy, a.k.a. Danny, a.k.a. Mr. You Can Too. I have one of my good friends on the show today, Mr. Nate Ortiz from Dream Fit himself is in the building. Honestly, Nate is such an amazing man. His story is breathtaking, and I actually got goosebumps as he was telling his story during our podcast. So Nate's going to dive deeply into all of the traumas, trials, tribulations that he went through from a very young boy and everything that he went through, how that essentially has helped him become the man he is today in the position in life that he is today. And it really is something that you would think would come straight out of a Hollywood film. And I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Nate's story made into a movie one day. So enjoy the show. There's going to be a lot of life lessons that you can take from this and really understanding that, you know, when you really believe in something, like trust yourself and go after that thing because you'll probably make it happen. So enjoy the show. Please share this with your family, friends and loved ones. And as always, you can too. Ladies and gentlemen, y'all are in for an absolute treat. This gentleman that I'm bringing to how you can to today is already a brother to me. We've only known each other for a couple of months, but I feel like I've known this man for years just through the way that he carries himself, how he goes about his business, how he goes about his life, how he's overcome and transcended so many challenges and how he shows up so big for all of the people that are in his life and outside of his life as well. I want to welcome everyone to the show, my brother, Nate Ortiz. How you feeling, my thank guy? Thank you, my brother. Thank you, thank you. Man, I'm feeling I'm feeling amazing right now. I'm feeling amazing. I love interviews. I love interviews. So in podcasting, just kicking it with you, bro. I think anytime last time we kicked it on the phone, we were supposed to do this podcast last week. We ended up just talking right before recording. We were on the phone for like an hour and a half. And then we're like, oh, we didn't get the podcast done. Let's do it next week. It was a, so it's always good to be with you, man. You pull you pull a lot of good things out of me and you you're one of the most interesting people um, I've ever met and I've ever came across. And I'm happy we came across each other at school at the Institute in San Diego. And I thank you for inviting me on your podcast, man. Hey, my pleasure, my brother, my pleasure. And bro, the, the same way that, that I bring that out of you, you bring that out of me. And for everyone listening, Nate and I, we met in San Diego about two months ago at our HLC2, our Holistic Lifestyle 2 coaching certification that we got at the Czech Institute. And it was funny. One of the first things I told Nate when I saw him, I was like, man, I'm happy to see you because I come into all types of, you know, whether it's personal development, coaching type of seminars, whatever it may be. And I'm always the only brother there. So to, so to see my boy Nate there, another another big man of color, I'm just like, yo, it feels so good to see a, another brother in the building. So we 100%. definitely, yeah. And then even more than that too, just man, Nate's story is incredible. And like Nate, just, you know, you and I, we have very similar backgrounds in the aspects of us being, you know, young biracial men of color, 
being mm-hmm. athletes, playing um, football all the way through the college level, having our own types of you know traumas and adversities that we've gone through with our family that's ultimately led us to do the type of coaching work that we do today. Nay, I would love for you to, one, let the people know about your childhood growing up and how that has taken you and inspired you to create the life that you're living now. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am from a biracial uh, situation family. I was born and raised in Jersey City, New Jersey. Um, and I was born to I have my father's black, my mother's white. And um, I ended up with the last name Ortiz because it was my mother's married name and she never got rid of it. So, um, you know, I not only did I get a Spanish last name, I actually look Spanish and I grew up in a Spanish neighborhood. So it can be very confusing to a lot of people. Um, but yeah, when I grew up, man, I, I learned something very deep as soon as I came into the world is I got the two opposites, right? So growing up with a black father and the black culture was a lot different than growing up with my white family and my white culture. Now, my white family wasn't like the regular suburban white family that you get on TV. Um, my white family was actually in the ghetto. We grew up in the projects in Holland Gardens. So my family was brought up with a mix, mixture of Irish, uh, Hispanic, and blacks in one neighborhood. And we shared the projects. But growing up as a kid, I went through a lot of traumas and situations that um, since a kid I knew was gonna teach me about life. Um, growing up with a black father, when you go into a store with a black father, people look at you different. When you walk with a black dad, they, they look at you different. But then when you walk with a white mom with green eyes, they look at you differently than they look at you when you're with your black father. Mm-hmm. And I learned the opposites. Um, my dad was a big time drug dealer and uh, my mom um, would, got hooked onto drugs at a young age. Um, to be totally honest with you, both of my parents are drug addicts. Um, they were addicts, and I did not know my dad was an addict until I got older, but it was very obvious that my mom had more issues when it came down to that. So I had one dad who was selling it and really um, you know, uh, showing that out, and then I had a mom that was using it. Um, so I had another opposite end, two different, um, you know, I had different spectrums that I was looking at. Um, but then from there, man, Growing up, it was very challenging because um, with my dad having his history of selling drugs, my dad had a lot of criminal records where he wasn't allowed to have his paperwork, so he wasn't able to really get stabled in life. He didn't have um, credit. He didn't have the ability to get an apartment. So anytime I see my dad, it was only on the weekends. He took me to the movie theaters, and, um, and we stood in hotels and things like that. That's how we spent our time together. And with my mom, my mom had a drug addiction where she usually was in love with somebody who had a drug addiction. And there would be times, man, where, you know, at a young age, I'll come home and, um, you know, I find a whole bunch of drug addicts in my house or I'm locked out the house and I can't get in or um, I get into my house and my TV's gone or my my sneakers are gone or my um, pencils and paper, you know, notebooks are gone. Because not only was my mom struggling with drugs, but I had an older brother and sister who both were struggling with drug addictions at the same time. So things got a little deep as I got older. I say around eight, nine years old, um, my sister had kids. And one day I um, woke up at 12 at night in the middle of the night was screaming and I'm like, what is going on? And I opened my door. My mom runs out the house. My, uh, my brother runs out the house. And I decided to get dressed with them and just try to follow them. And we were running for like 25 minutes. 
and we ended up at my sister's house. And when I got there, was a bunch of cops out there, ambulance, and the news. I was like, what is going on? And come to find out that my my sister and her boyfriend um, were arrested for murder of my niece. So I had a niece who was about uh, six months years old. She had epilepsy, so she kept on having seizures. And, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of stories on what happened. But, you know, um, you know, you don't know which one's true or not. But both of them were found guilty for murder and they both went to prison. And I had two nephews as well. I had a nephew who was three and I had a nephew who was one and a half. The one that was three and one of my nephews, we raised. You know, we raised them as, you know, in one basically household um, as one family. And after that day, bro, I never saw my nephews again. I saw one nephew, my one and a half, I, um, um, Jeremiah. I saw him one more time when I was about like about two, three years later after the situation, but he did not know who I was because he was only one and a half when he left me. Now, if I would have saw my nephew who was three, two, three years later, he would have definitely remembered me, but they did not allow me to see them. So right there, bro, my mom was clean for a couple years at that time around that around nine, 10 years old because she was a grandmother um, and um, my sister was working. Everything was okay, right? We were still poor, still from the ghetto, but that's when things got real in my life. My sister went to prison, my brother went to prison, my mother relapsed so much, never saw my mother the same after that day. Um, and I went to school the next day, and the whole school knows that your sister killed her own daughter, and every or allegedly killed, killed her daughter, or she's in guilt, she, felt, she was found guilty. And now I'm in school the next day, and everybody's looking at me like a weirdo, like maybe I'm gonna kill somebody, or people feeling sorry for me, and all these other actions, and, you know, when I went home that night, I went home without a mom. And, um, you, you know, which I was used to. Anytime the first of the month came when we got food stamps, my mom would disappear. And what she'll do is she'll take those food stamps and she would cash them in for cash and she would get high off of it. And me and my brothers won't see that money again, you know. So um, this time when my mom left, my mom left for like three weeks and we couldn't find my mom. Um, and, you know, she ended up being at like an ex-boyfriend's house or something. And um, so me and my brother would go home every day. Just me and him, we were on Section 8. So sometimes we have something called DIFIS come in and check in and make sure that, you know, um, your mother's home and, you know, welfare, making sure everybody's following the right rules so you can keep your government money. And, um, you know, there was times they'll come and I have to lie and say, no, my mom just went to the store, things like that. Um, and, you know, I got used to lying. You know, they used to ask me if my mom ever hit me. And I got really abused as a kid from my mom. And I used to lie and say I didn't. Cause we were scared if we were actually talking the truth. We, mm -hmm. my mom would have killed us, you know. So, from that day, bro, I had to figure out how I was gonna, what I was gonna do in my life. So I went to school, and there was a counselor. And he said, Nate, you have to come see me. And I'm like, yo, I don't want to talk to nobody. Mm -hmm. He's like, Nate, after going the trauma that you just been through in the last 24 hours, you have to come talk to me. I didn't want to talk to him. I was too cool to show to talk about my feelings. So I ended up going to class, and as I went through school. I went home and I just remember going home and, you know, had no food. Like, my mom's not home. There's no food. There's nothing. Remember, I can't see my dad. My dad's hiding from the cops my whole life. So me and my dad had code on the phone. So if I called my dad, he would tell me like a code, right? Me and my brother like a code. And that code would be meeting him by like a certain McDonald's or meeting him by, you know, downtown or whatever the case may be. And when we would meet up with him, my dad would come in a different car with a different driver and you know we see him for two minutes and he'll give us money and he'll leave because my dad was hustling and he can't be around us so you know i missed the, the the part of 
having someone around all day to, to be able to love. I didn't have that with my mom. I didn't have that with my dad. But when I lost my nephews and then I lost my sister and I lost everybody in one day, I said, I got to do something with my life. I don't want to become a drug addict. I don't want to go to jail. I don't, I don't want to do any of these things. So I sat down with a blank piece of paper and I just asked myself, you know, why am I alive? And the reason why I asked myself that is because like, you know, why are we born if this is the pain we got to go through? I was going through a lot of pain. You know, and I'm used to watching my nephews every day after school. I didn't have them anymore. You know, I'm used to, you know, my me and my brother hanging out with my nephews. It wasn't like that anymore, you know? So I'm like, yo, why am I alive? Why, why are we born if we just got to go through this much pain? Now, at this time, at 10 years old, I just went through a whole bunch of pain of one day I'm moving with my grandmother, then I'm moving with my other grandmother, then I'm moving with my mom in some house. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of issues that every day I'm turning around, every year of my life, there's a trauma going on. And then I had to deal with this. So at that moment, I was, I was like, I feel like I'm being tested. And besides looking at it as me being a victim, I said, yo, I think I'm being tested. If I can get through these little traumas and I can build myself from it, by the time I'm 18 years old, nothing can, nothing can hurt me. You know, I can get through anything. And what I did is I lied to myself. I was 10 and I said, you know, my life is a movie. And I'm gonna and, and what life is doing right now is it's recording my life and it's gonna be a great movie one day, right? And wow. in my imagination, I was like, yo, if I can get through this stuff now when I get older, yo, they'll make a whole movie out of my life. So what I did is I, I took a piece of paper and I said, okay, how can I get out of Jersey City? That's number one. So that was number one. I wrote that down, how to get out of Jersey City. Boom. The best step to get out of Jersey City was getting an education, right? So I said, okay, how can I get an education? I knew I couldn't go to private school because I go to private school, I'm gonna be with all my gangbanger friends. So I need to go to, I mean, public school. So I need to go to a private school. So I said, okay, how can I get into a private school? And then um, I looked up around my town. I was just brainstorming and come to find out. I was like, yo, I have the number one basketball school in the country in my city. How about if I, get a scholarship for basketball to play for the number one basketball coach in the world of all time. From there, get a college uh, scholarship, never have to worry about college loans or worry about a situation where my parents have to pay with, I know they can't pay, they can't pay for me to get sneakers right now. So I said, okay, I'm gonna get a full scholarship to, to number one basketball school in the country. How can I do that? How can I start on it now? And I said, oh, I got an idea. So next day I woke up, went to school, the guy that was telling me, you got to talk to me? He's like, Nate, you have... I said, you know what? You're right. He goes, oh, I'm right? I said, yeah, you are. I'll make a deal with you. He said, okay, what's the deal? I said, if you wake up every day and you open up this basketball gym in the, in the school at 6 in the morning and you catch my rebounds, I'll tell you everything you want to know. Huh. He said, really? I said, absolutely. He goes, okay, the day that you miss and you don't show up from that day on, you have to come every day after school in my office. We shook on the deal. I never missed a day of school. Sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. Not one day of school missed. I went to school with fevers, sick with the flu at till 12 o'clock. And then they went, they sent me home so I don't miss a day of school so I can keep that deal on the line with him. So from that day, I would go in, I'll shoot the ball and I work on my game every day. His name was Mr. Fernandez. He'll come in and he'll bring my, my high school that I had a goal of playing for. They had every every player that played for coach Hurley got, a, got went to college. So he'll come in every day and there will be a journal, uh, uh, basically magazines, 
the new journal that came out this morning in the newspaper showing that how another kid made it from the streets of Jersey City because of Bob Hurley. So he'll come up. It's crazy. I got the goosebumps telling the story, but I get the goosebumps every time because it's crazy how my life really turned out after this. So he'll put up the mat. He'll put up the newspaper in the gym every day before we start shooting. And bro, I worked on my game every day. Hmm. And from there, I needed motivation. I wanted to find motivation. My friends were young, right? We'll go out. My friends will smoke weed. My friends will start hanging out with chicks. And I was, I had a different focus to me, bro. Um, after school. I would go back to, I would go to the basketball court and I'll shoot all day at the basketball court. So I'll get my practice in in the morning and then I get my practice in at nighttime and then they'll shut the lights off at the gym and I'm like, yo, if I can make a shot at night with no lights, I can make it during lights. So I'll be at the basketball court all night. There was times where I could try to go home and my mom would lock me out because she was getting high. So besides, I had too much of a pride to go ask my friends to stay at their house sometimes. So I'll just go back to the basketball court and I'll play back. I'll shoot the ball all night. And then school will start a couple hours. I walk to school and go shoot. I'll get no sleep, just shooting. And in my imagination, I made it. I was already a, a full scholarship player for St. Anthony's. So what I did is this summer came. When the summer came, this I had no more basketball to do with Mr. Fernandez. So Bob Hurley ran these big camps downtown. And every kid from around the tri-state area, New York, Connecticut, um, Philadelphia, every best kid in their grade will come up and their parents will bring them in these Mercedes Benz, Cadillacs, give them a lunch box for camp. And the camp was a week long. So every day you'll attend the camp at eight in the morning, you'll leave around five or six. I showed up at the camp at six in the morning. When I showed up at the camp, I had no money. I walked to the camp. So the camp was an hour walk from my house. So I walked to the camp, I stood in front of the, the, the gym. As the, the janitor opens the gym, he told me I was two hours early. I told him I know I'm waiting for Coach Hurley. Coach Hurley shows up. Coach Hurley goes, hi, how can I help you? And I said, my name is Nate Ortiz. You don't know me. I'm in sixth grade, but I'm going to play for you one day. He goes, really? He goes, where's your parents? I said, I don't know. I don't know where my mom is. I don't know where my dad is. He goes, what do you mean you don't know? I was like, I live by myself. I live right now. I'm staying in an apartment um, we got from Section 8. He said, um, I said, can you please let me play this camp? And he said, um, I said, I have no money. I'm broke. I have no money. But I promise you, if you let me in this camp, I'll show you that I deserve to be here. He puts his hand on my shoulder. and He goes, come on, let's go in. So he opens up the gym. I go into the gym. The camp was like a, a couple hundred dollars, a couple hundred dollar camp. You know what I'm saying? And um, he goes, what size are you in your shirt? And I was always a little chubby kid. You know, he gave me a, a large Right, and I was in sixth grade, you know, large is a pretty big shirt. And I said, can I please, can I please warm up right now? Bro, when I'm telling you the story right now, I can smell the gym and I can feel the ball. It's so creepy. Crazy. I feel like I'm there. It's crazy, right? So Jeez. he goes, of course. So now when I'm warming, when I'm playing and I'm shooting around, I'm, my heart is beating. Cause now I, I got every kid in the, in the tri-state area. And some people came from California. And any kid that was really good, we had sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. Now, what Hurley did is he brought back players that used to play for him to talk at the camps. And then he had players who play for him at the moment at the camp. There was a guy, there was a kid that he had on the team called, his name was Mike Rosario. He was projected to be an All-American. He had, he was one of the best players in the country. Bro, when I told you I fit, I was a, I was his biggest fan, I'm talking about like his biggest fan. You see how people react to like Michael Jackson when he was alive? That's how I reacted to this dude, bro. I was a huge wow. fan. So... 
Mike Rosario was there. So all the kids come in and then Mike Rosario came and he was a mentor at the, at the camp. Bro, I almost had a heart attack. I'm like, yo, my hero's here. Yo, I want to be like Mike Rosario more than anybody in the world. So they bring in the sixth grade, the seventh grade, eighth grade. Everybody gets there. Bro, there's nothing like watching kids get there with their parents, with their support, with food, with money in their pocket, for lunch. Mm. I had none of that, bro. I had no money. I wore the same shorts for a week straight. I had no clean clothes on. I'm keeping it real with you. I was poor. Yo, they put this camp on. The camp starts. Yo, I give everybody in sixth grade the work. The yeah. work. I go to Hurley. I'm Hurley. Hurley's assistant coach, Coach Campbell, decided to put me with the seventh graders. Gave the seventh graders work. Then decided to put me with the eighth graders. Put me with the eighth graders. Gave them work. I was in sixth grade, bro. So the eighth grade kids wow. were about to be freshmen next year, right? They're going into their freshman year. Gave them work. We won the championship. Mike Rosario complimented me and called me his little brother, bro. He put his hand on my oh, shoulder. He's wow. like, you're like my little brother. Yeah, bro, I had a heart attack. He don't even know. He don't even know this. He never know this. <laughs> so I left that camp. When the camp was over, we won the championship. I w they gave us that shirt. I walked around my city in the ghetto and told every gangster on the block, drug dealers, that Hurley gave me a scholarship. I lied. Hurley did not give me a scholarship in real life. But in my imagination, Hurley gave me a scholarship. You understand? Absolutely. So they're like, nah, you're lying, you're lying. So now, if I tell people that Hurley gave me a scholarship and I don't put the work behind it to get that scholarship, I will forever be known as a liar. So I put a bunch of pressure on me when I told people that. So every day in the summertime, I went to a park called Palisades Park, and I played basketball from when the sun went up to when the sun went down, and I wore the same shirt every day. Mm. Smelled sweaty as hell. I didn't care. I, sh I wore that St. Anthony shirt every day. I did that for the next two years. My seventh grade year, eighth grade year, I played for Hurley in the summer at his camps. And I wore their shirts, and I told everybody I had scholarship. And then when school year, my school year of seventh grade, eighth grade, I never missed a day of waking up early in the morning to shoot the ball and practice my game. Eighth grade year comes. There's one game left of my eighth grade career. Hurley never came to see me. I have no scholarship. I was panicking. In my imagination, bro, I was like, there's no way that I'm going to public school. Hurley's going to come see me play this last game. Hurley did not come see me play that last game, bro. Now, I'm like, what am I going to do? Out of nowhere, at the end of the year, my little brother gets a new teacher. The new teacher happens to be Bob Hurley's daughter. Yeah. My brother goes, Miss Hurley, you have to get your dad to see my brother. My brother's really good. You have to see him. Now, at the same time of my eighth grade year, we got evicted. Section 8 found out that my mom wasn't home. Okay. So my mom tried to get her Section 8 back, so she tried to show up to be a mom again so she could, be, she could get her welfare. Did not work, so we were homeless. So I went homeless around this time. So around this time, every day after school, me and my brother would go to school with our laundry bags on our shoulder. We'll bring the laundry bag to the nurse office. They allowed us to keep it there. We tried to do it early. We got to school. School started around 8. We got there around 7 so we can get the free lunch. I mean, the free breakfast they gave. And we didn't want anybody to see us carry our laundry bags. Now, at the same time, me and my brother would start walking to school around 6 in the morning so nobody can see us during the mornings walking with it. And we'll walk from different hotels. So 
One day it may be a hotel only 30 minutes away. Next day it may be a hotel an hour away. It depended on whatever Red Cross had available for us. So at the same time, we had nowhere to live. My little brother's like, she found out about our story through my little brother. And then she told her dad, listen, I think these kids need help. But if the, if the big brother is really good in basketball, maybe it'd be a good opportunity. So one day, I decided to join this, um, this basketball league in the summertime with high school kids. And it was high school kids and some college kids that played Division One that came back to the city to play in the, in the, in the, in the, in the tournament. And they threw me in there. I got this, there was a there was this hustler. His name was Ben, Big Ben. Ben believed in me like nobody else. Ben used to rave about me. And he asked people, can I jump into the league? And everybody thought he was crazy because I was in eighth grade. Well, Ben put me into the league. And the day that Ben put me into the league, Hurley showed up. Wow. Hurley shows up to the park, the same park that I used to shoot the basketball at at midnight when there was no lights on. Hurley pulls up in a convertible Audi, gets out with his, his um, St. Anthony Friar gear, and everybody at the park went crazy. Because yeah. the kids that were in high school were now trying to show Hurley that they can play for him so they can transfer. At the time, Hurley won 25 state championships and three national championships. Okay, Hurley is inducted to the Hall of Fame that year, the same year Michael Jordan got inducted to the Basketball Hall of Fame. So this is... Literally no, 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 nothing to play around with. They put me in the game, and I dropped fifty-five points on a Division One basketball player, an eighth Jeez. grade. Hurley picks up his flip phone, calls the school, and told me that the school has a scholarship waiting for me. Yeah. Now, everybody I ever told, all the drug dealers in my neighborhood, I told that I got a scholarship to St. Anthony's, thought I was crazy. I lied to them, but at the same time, three years later, Hurley gave me a scholarship in front of all of them. And they all was like, oh, you were telling the truth the whole time. Now, I lied to them, but in my imagination, I was telling myself the truth. So lying yeah. at that part helped me. Then I go to St. Anthony's. When I went to St. Anthony's on a full scholarship, I end up... Um, you know, we end up living full-time in the hotel. So now my dad... The, the situation with my mom got so bad that my dad had to take over. And my dad, we stood at a hotel right in front of the Holland Tunnel. So when you leave the, the hotel, when you come outside, you got in the mornings, you wake up from the beeping because you're in front of the Holland Tunnel. If you want to Google Holland Inn, Holland, like the Holland Tunnel, Holland Inn, you'll see pictures of it on Google. I live right in front of the Holland Tunnel, okay? So I'll wake up every morning or throughout the night because there was traffic you know, trying to get into the tunnel. And we lived there for three years. Jeez. So I went, we lived in there my freshman year. And every day at 11 o'clock, we didn't know if we were going to be able to pay for the room. So to this day, when 10.55 hits and I look at the clock, I'm traumatized by that time. Because wow. those are the times where I was looking at dad and like, dad, you got the money for the room. Because we had nowhere to go. At the same time, it was embarrassing knowing that the workers there knew you had nowhere to live. It was very embarrassing. But at the same time, my, my school was right up the block from the Holland Tunnel. So literally, you take a two-minute walk up the block and the school's there. So every time I left the Holland Tunnel, you start to get kids that start to witness me walking to school from a hotel. So the whole school knew I was homeless. And it was very embarrassing for me because 
um, people felt sorry for me. And growing up, I, I hated when people felt sorry for me. So that's the time when I started to really master the, I, worked, I mastered the craft of basketball at a young age, but I mastered the skill work it takes to master a craft. And my dad taught me this thing about a toolbox. He said, anytime you build something with a toolbox, you can take that toolbox to a different location to build something else. So when I was a kid, I told my dad that um, now I need to find a way how I'm gonna get to college. And I was a freshman and I'm already telling people I'm gonna play division one sports. People thought I was on drugs, right? Because the BD1 <laughs> is the highest level of sports, right? So right. Um, I go into school and um, the first the first year was uh, 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 tough for me because um, I'm going to private school. A lot of my a lot of my friends were paying for school, uh, but a lot of my friends were from the ghetto too. They were trying to find their way out. So their parents were either taking loans or trying to do their best to get them through private school so they could get to college. And um, I was struggling, man. I was I was struggling, and I had to find extra motivation. And that's when I always I always came across uh, Kobe Bryant's talking in interviews. But this is when I dug into Kobe Bryant deep, and I, and I'll give you the year. It was two thousand and seven is when I started to do extra. I wanted to be the best at everything I did, and I studied Kobe Bryant. I studied Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. I studied Michael Jordan's way he does interviews and the way he um, keeps a killer instant. But I, I studied Kobe Bryant a little more because Kobe Bryant told more secrets than Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was very secretive. He just said hard work. Kobe Bryant bro broke it down for me very well. I did not know who Tony Robbins was. I did not know who any of these people were. I, Kobe Bryant was my first motivational speaker that I came across that influenced me in my life. So I would wake up every day in the morning and I would watch Kobe Bryant videos. The problem that I ran into, bro, it wasn't so much my work ethic. It was more of the ability to play the position that I wanted to play in high school. I was the shortest kid on my basketball team. So uh, a small forward is now 6'7", and I'm 6'2", 6'3", right? So, right. Um, and I wasn't, I didn't have the skill set as a point guard to play point guard. So I, I had to work my mind in a way of outworking a 6'5", small forward. So I watched a lot of Kobe Bryant stuff. Kobe Bryant really helped me with my mentality. Um, but as I was playing basketball, one day this football coach, I mean, one day our school decided that they may open up a football program. They never opened up a football program before. So they're like, we may open up a football program. And I was like, okay, good for you. Like, I'll never play football day in my life. Like, it, it ain't happening. You know what I'm saying? Um, it ain't happening. So um, I would play basketball and I'll have my basketball games and I played small forward and I was coming off the bench for uh, St. Anthony's. And I'll come in the game, bro, and I'll get a quick double-double. Um, I, I can jump and get the ball, get the rebound. I love getting rebounds, and I was a shooter. So my thing is I'll go in the game, I'll get a 10 rebounds and 10 points real quick. You know what I'm saying? So one day Hurley comes up to me, and he goes, um, the football coach has been here, and he wants to start a football program, and he says that you'll be an amazing tight end. And I said, Hurley, like, I'll never play football. And he looked at me in my eyes, and he told me, you know, football may be a good option for you. And it broke my heart when he said that because he basically was confirming that I didn't have the skill set to play uh, basketball at the next level, a Division One level. I could play D two, D three, but not Division One. And Hurley wanted me to go Division One, and it broke my heart. So I, 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 I the, the football coach, I finally give him the time of the day. He starts talking to me. I go out my sophomore year, and he made me a tackle, a guard. And when I went out there, I went out there for about a week, and I, I had no motivation to play guard. And they, they were trying to develop a varsity team, and they couldn't at the moment. 
And I told them, I said, look, to be honest with you, um, I have no interest in playing football. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try a basketball game. Because when you're practicing in the summertime for football, basketball camps are starting with the basketball team. So I'm missing out on that. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go all in. So I, I went again for basketball. I had a pretty good season. And then I started to get into diet and nutrition. And I noticed I was born with a lot of diseases and issues growing up. My mom had me and I overdosed as a child. I was on heroin. So I went through a lot of issues growing up with my health because I was a crack baby. And, um, and I was labeled mentally retarded. I couldn't read. Even in high school, I had like a first grade reading level. I couldn't speak. I had horrible way of pronouncing words. I couldn't talk to you the way I'm talking to you right now. And I started to study the reasons and I wanted to know the reasons of that. And I got into health like really young, bro. Like I got into the fitness industry like 12, 11, 12 years old. Like I was digging in. I had a stepfather who went to prison, who got into working out. And I saw, I started to see like, I respected him because he had muscle, you know what I'm saying? And I saw the power of having a healthy body at a young age. And I had, I was fat my whole life. I was a chunky kid. So at the same time, I started studying my nutrition and I leaned up and a coach said, you can play tight end. You should come play tight end. I said, man, last time you said that, you put me at guard. He's like, no offense, I had to put you at guard because you was a little too chunky, right? <laughs> I was like, okay. So long story short, I, I tried again at football and at the same time I decided to go 100% football, we just got a big transfer. A kid came over, his name is Kadeem, and he was getting looked at from big time division one schools and he had interest from uh, Temple University when he came over. And since he played defensive end, they wanted him to play tight end. Because if you're a Division One football player in high school, you got to play both ways. Mm. So now I'm competing against a Division One kid. And I'm like, what's the chances of, you know, he already came over with the Division One scholarship. But I'm like, what's the chances of me playing football and I'm already competing against a Division One kid? But when I was on basketball, I was, the, I was, uh, I was competing against Division One kids and potentially a kid that's going to the NBA. So the kid that I was competing against at my position is in the NBA as we speak right now. He's been in the NBA for seven years, right? So I'm like, yo, what is going on? But then again, from my childhood, I said, oh, this is a test. At the same time, this is all going on. I'm switching teams. I'm, I'm living in a hotel. Um, I don't have the best gear. Um, I'm going through a lot of trauma with my mom and my brother and my sister. Um, my sister's in prison still. My brother's in jail. So it was, it was a challenging time for me emotionally. So what I did is I went home and I cried to my dad. And I'm like, yo, they made me come full-time here and they got a kid that's playing uh, football um, and he's division one. So the first scrimmage goes by, they never gave me playing time. Second one, no playing time. Third one, no playing time. Fourth one, no playing time. I'm like, yo, I just effed my life up. I'm in my junior year. This is, I'm going into my junior year. This is when you start receiving scholarships. I'm not even getting playing time right now. I never played football a day in my life. I come over here, I'm working my butt off, and they didn't give me anything. And I went home and I cried to my dad, and I'm like, Dad, you know, they put the kid in front of me, da da da, and I'm crying to him. My dad was reading a newspaper, and I remember like it was yesterday. He allowed me to cry, he allowed me to complain, and as soon as I was done, he put the newspaper down, he said, you done? And I was like, yeah. He's like, when a man goes to work, they gotta pay him if they like him or not. I'm like, what the hell does that have to do with anything? <laughs> he said, but when a man goes to work and he goes to overtime, he does overtime, he puts in the extra work and he gets paid overtime. So it doesn't matter who, because, bro, the issue that I was having is that I was a basketball player coming over to football team. Football team hated the basketball players. 
right? Because we were the divas. They hated us. That's number one. Number two, I there's two parts of Jersey City. I grew up. My dad grew up in a in a black part. I grew up. There's three parts. There's a black part, a Spanish community, and then a, a, a white, black, and Spanish all mixed in one. I grew up as a kid in all three, right? In the, in the one that was mixed together. And then as I was getting older, my dad was trying, we were living in hotels in the black community. Now, when you're light-skinned in a black community, there's a lot of envyness towards you. You, you, you mm. You're not really welcomed, if you like it or not. Everything is... Everything's an excuse when you're light-skinned. So when I was getting girls and I had a girlfriend, people were like, oh, you want to get a girlfriend because you're light-skinned. Or I'm good at sports. I had a lot of issues growing up. I, I had a lot of, I was bullied a lot as a kid for being light-skinned. And um, I, don't, I don't tell people that as much, but I was bullied a lot. I was bullied by a lot of family members. I was bullied a lot growing up from, from my black side, bro, to be honest. Mm. So when I got on the football team, I was one of the only light-skinned kids and I wasn't really a part of the black community on my team where and being a football player, a basketball player, there was a lot of envyness towards me. And I was dating a girl in school, which all the football players wanted. So any opportunity they had to take a helmet off and hit me as hard as I can in practice, they did. They did. Mm. So I told my dad and um, I was like, you know what? I'm about to outwork every person on this team. I called my uncle. I asked him, can you sign me up at the gym? He signed me up at Gold's gym. So what I'll do is, I my my trend, my to get to school in the morning it would take me. I remember I was up the block, but to get to the gym it was forty minutes the opposite way. So I'll wake up at five in the morning, four forty-five. I'll wake up. We didn't have lockers. Our football, our school was so small. But I graduated three hundred kids. That's how big. I mean, I went to school with three hundred kids. I graduated with forty kids. My school was a small private school. So I walked. To every morning at 16, I woke up at 4.45. I, I had to carry my helmet and shoulder pads. I walked to Gold's gym. I worked out for an hour. Then I walked from there to my school. Um, and everything that Kadeem did, I outworked him. When Kadeem came to school and school started at 8.15, I got there at 7.30. When Kadeem dropped the ball in practice, I never dropped the ball. When we raced at the end, we did gassers, I made sure I whipped Kadeem's ass every time. Everything Kadeem did, I did a thousand times better. His character, the way he talked to teachers, whatever. Whatever I can find advantage of, I look for every disadvantage he had, everything that would bring him down, and I not only him, every kid on the team. Mm -hmm. When I when I and that's when I build that mama mentality on a different level. I will go I'll go to practice. After practice, I'll go home and I'll go back to the damn gym. Because when these kids were growing up, they played football, they, were, they had muscle, they were built. I was a basketball player, I was slim after losing weight. I had no muscle, I had no strength. So I had to have an off-season training schedule with in-season football. So I built myself, so I got stronger. So when they, when they came to knock my helmet off in practice to pick on me, I ran them over. When they came and got in my face, I was ready to throw the hands. So. At all, I built myself to be something that you couldn't break. And after building this mentality, first game of the season goes by, got no playing time. Second game of the season goes by, got no playing time. Third season comes up, Kadeem gets suspended. They put me in. They're like, Nate, you're starting. In my mind, I said, Kadeem would never get this position back again. Mm. That's it. Now, Kadeem is still one of the biggest def defensive ends in the country. All right, He's still playing defense. When it comes out to offense, 
he he really was a good mentor to me too. Kadeem wasn't a mean dude. He taught me a lot. You know, he was he was good to me. Uh, but I wasn't. I didn't care for that. I, I wanted. To, I wanted to. I wanted everything he had at my position because I quit basketball for this. I'm gonna make this happen. I get into my first game. I, I catch a uh, touchdown, a two point conversion. I had like I think 150 yards uh, receiving game. I came out in the Jersey Journal the next day, which is a huge journal in New Jersey, wow. and immediately got attention from Division One schools. Played my f- second game, caught a touchdown for 80 yards. And the, and right there, I received my first scholarship mm-hmm. of Division One, and from that day on, I received over twenty scholarships to play Division One football, and wow. I I still kept the same mindset. So even though I had the Division One scholarships, I woke up every day at four, and I went to sleep every day at eleven and twelve, and I worked my ass off. And what I did is I emailed the coaches. So what I did is I got home every day after practice, and um, after the gym. And I would open up my laptop, I would email, text, call, Facebook, every coach on the coaching staff of every school in the country. And then when they ignored me, I called their wife. And I emailed their wife. And I text <laughs> their wife. Every school. So I probably reached out at every Division One school. I did not accept any Division One schools to hit me up. I did not even entertain a conversation with them. I was not going for that. And then when there was then off season when the winter uh, uh, came, I went to every camp and competed against every kid in the country at my position, and everybody didn't couldn't believe that um, I never played football, and everybody couldn't believe that when we were done with the camp, I was heading back into a hotel because that's where I lived. Nobody could believe that. So after working my ass off and doing all that, um, one of my biggest offers was the University of Miami. I went down there. This was when Coach Golding was there. I think that was his name. Golding. Yeah, Golding. Yeah. Coach Golding was there, and um, I went down there and I got the Gatorade Award for the camp for tight end. Destroyed everybody in that camp. Gave them all work. I ran like a four seven in my forty, bro. I ran a four seven like coming out of a two point stance. Like <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't train for the forty. Nothing, bro. The only thing I saw was a scholarship at the end of that. You know that timer. So. Went to my University of Miami. They gave me 24 hours to decide on my scholarship because they were hosting another camp the next day. And they had a five-star Miami kid coming in. And they said that they knew that he was a native and that he was going to take the scholarship. So I called my dad and, um, bro, I'm living in a hotel. The last thing I can think about is leaving my two little brothers and my dad in Jersey while I'm in Miami chilling. So um, we decided not to – and it was, I was a junior. I was only a junior. I wanted to experience more of the college recruitment. Um, after going through my whole college thing, there was a school, Delaware State University, is HBCU, Division One, AA. They offered me a scholarship and told me, we're going to give you a scholarship. You're number one on our board, and we'll wait. We're not going to offer anybody else. While every other school was giving me a time limit, they didn't. So I went on my visit with them, and my dad always wanted to be a part of an HBCU growing up. And my dad was super happy there. We had a good time. And if I would have came in, I redshirt my first my first year, and then I automatically would start playing. And they needed me. Every school wanted me, but they needed me. But they had a movement science program for uh, a major that was one of the top in the country, and they just built a brand new strength conditioning facility that was the best facility on the East Coast. And that sold to me because I knew football wasn't always going to be here. That I wanted to be a coach one day. 
So I took their scholarship. I went to Delaware State University, um, light skin kid on campus, right? Um, and <laughs> it, it was um, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as it was growing up in you know my community. Um, it was really good. Made some good friends. And um, while I was in college, I was dating somebody for four years and um, went through a terrible breakup in college, where I was uh, I was cheated on. Um, it, it very, it was just very wrong how it went down, and um, I went through a great depression. I went through a real depression, bro. So while I was in college, my parents never came to games, um, so I was always alone. And when I was in this relationship, this girl kind of made me feel like I was a part of something. I was with her since I was in high school. I was with her since I was living in the hotels, um, and her family became like my family. And um, when that whole thing went down, nobody else that said she didn't come down to the games because I, I, I left, right? And her family didn't come down to the games. And I went through this depression, bro. And um, I, I, I had a friend, I had a best friend, his name was Luigi, he lived in Miami. And he said, for winter break, don't, come, don't go home, come to Miami. And he said, I want you to come to Miami because if you go home, you're gonna be distracted. He said, come to Miami, you get to work out here on the beach. You could work out on the beach in December. That's how you sold me. So I went down to Miami, and when I got on the bus, I got on the immigrant bus with a whole bunch of Cubans and Colombians from New Jersey heading down to Miami. And, like, they had karaoke on the bus. I was like, it was like old folks and stuff, and I was a younger dude on the bus. And I went on the bus with 75 cents in my pocket. Now, when me and that girl broke up, she took care of my finances for me. She helped me because I was a college student athlete. So I had no money. I had no phone. I had nothing, bro. So I'm heading down all the way down to uh, Miami. It took me like, I think like 29 hours or something like that. We get to Miami and um, every day I went to the beach and I had no money. I'll just park the car and I will walk in South Beach on the beach and visualize what I want to do in my life. And I said, I'm about to have one of the best seasons you can have at Delaware State University. And I was telling myself I needed to be, I needed to be cheated on, I needed to be played out, I needed to have a heartbreak. And this is, I've been watching a man named Elliot Hoss since, I don't know, since I was like 16, since I was in high school. But this is when I really start to listen to some Elliot Hall stuff. Every freaking day I listen to Elliot. And um, he made sense to me. He made a lot of sense. He, he gave me perspective. And he, he, he made a video on the importance of a heartbreak because you need to learn on what caused a heartbreak so you know that um, that person, can, nobody else can ever do that to you because that was a weakness of yours, right? Mm -hmm. So I went down there, bro. I learned all my weaknesses and then I learned how to cut hair. And I said, I'm gonna learn how to cut hair because when I'm on campus, I'm gonna start making money while cutting hair. So learn how to cut hair. Um, you know, I, did, I had no interest in women for like four months after my breakup. I went home one day, went on Instagram. I had two days left in New Jersey. So I went from Miami to New Jersey. I had two days until I go back into uh, start spring uh, semester and spring ball. And as soon as I was headed down, uh, the, the day before I uh, was about to head down, I went on Instagram and this girl put up this photo. And the photo, there was like some girls in the, in the photo. And it was this one girl that I thought was the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my damn life. Now, I've seen a lot of good-looking women, bro, you know? And I was in Miami. I mean, there's a lot of You had of a whole women. summer in Miami. I'm sure exactly. you Exactly. Hey, of course. Exactly. So, I'm like, yo, when I ran into this girl, I had to figure out who this girl was. So, I went, like, stalk them all to try to find her page. And I found a page that I thought was her, but it wasn't her default picture, and it was private. 
So I decided just to request it. I woke up the next day and I found out it was her. And immediately, bro, I took a, a, a selfie in Miami. I saved that selfie and I sent it to this girl. And I said, look, I think you're the most beautiful woman in the world. I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. And this is before it goes down and DMs came out. And, uh, <laughs> <For sure. laughs> I sent her the, the DM and uh, she hit me back and she thought she introduced herself and she she thought I was very handsome and then I, I had to play it cool. I'm like, yo, I can't just reply so fast. So I sat back and I'm like, you play it cool. And then she immediately gave me another DM. She said, listen, um, uh, take my number down because I'm never on here. And I was like, oh my gosh, she gave me her number. So I text her and then she FaceTimed me. I ignored the FaceTime because I didn't have a haircut. She thought I was catfish. <laughs> so basically I FaceTimed her and um, she asked me if I wanted to go out for sushi. And bro, you don't understand, dog. Like, I was, bro, I was, I was literally talking to the most beautiful woman in the world. You got me? Like, you don't think I'm going to go and, and, and go get some sushi. But one thing, bro, <laughs> is that when I went through that heartbreak, I learned on how to make money. I learned how not to depend on another woman. I learned on how to respect myself and put myself first in a relationship. So my last break, when I went to Miami, I did a lot of self-healing. And I saved up money. I was cutting hair. I saved up money. So when I came to New York, I bought a car. I had money in my account. Um, so when she asked me to come to New York, so you you can see where, like, I'm going to give anybody, all your listeners, if you have some listeners in Miami, a good example. Mm-hmm. You can live in, you see where um, the the um, where the Miami Heat play, right? Um, yes, that's sir. Brickle, right? Brickle? That's downtown, but close to Brickell. Okay, so downtown. And you see how downtown has that bridge that takes you to South Beach? Yes, sir. Okay. I'm, I'm literally I'm, looking at it right now as we record this. I'm looking at that bridge you're talking about, so that's amazing. Go ahead. That, that is amazing, bro. So that bridge is what separated, that separates where I'm from in New Jersey and New York City. Okay? So, mm. I, so she asked me to come over. So when you go over that bridge, it's $15. And then I had to pick her up and take her to dinner. I had, I had, had money for these things. So... The only reason why I had money is because of the heartbreak that I went through taught me that I need to take care of myself, my finances, and things like that while being in college and never depend on a woman again for money. So I was able to build myself for a moment like the best opportunity in my life to take out the beautiful, most beautiful woman in the world on a dinner date. So I go over the bridge. I pick her up. She gets in my car. I fall. Bro, this is the first woman I've ever fell in love with. Just the first moment I met her. Like, instantly fell in love with her. We went to dinner. We had a good time. Um, had to go to Delaware a couple of days later. And then um, she started to come down to my school. She showed huge support. And bro, asked to be my girlfriend. Love of my life. The best thing I've ever asked for. She'll come to my school. Um, she'll help me organize everything. She'll help me everything I need help with. But bro, she'll be in the room when I'll be at school all day, practice all day, cut hair all day. She'll be in a room 20 hours by herself a day. Wow. 20 waiting for me this girl can have any guy in the world bro she was having like celebrities sliding her dm colin kaepernick you know what i'm saying like but she wanted to be with me you know what i'm saying and she was an actress so she was an inspired she wanted to become an actress she did like a little projects here and there but one day um i you know how you play football and people tell you um you know you have to have a backup plan with football so one day i asked her what's her backup plan with acting and she said, I don't have a backup plan. And I went to go tell her that it's important to have a backup plan. And she came on my neck. 
She said, listen, I will never have a backup plan. And don't ever tell me that I need a backup plan. My backup plan is my my plan. It's acting. And I'm going to make it in acting. And that day, I learned on when you make a decision in life, the importance of sticking to it no matter what people tell you. Now, remind you, bro, I grew up... People thought I was crazy. I made a decision growing up. I had these ideas. I have these dreams of mine. And I had to be persistent towards my dreams and ignore the outside noise. But I got to a point where um, you're playing with the NFL now and you know how sketchy that is. So I put my thoughts on her about her acting. Mm, and she yeah, put me on my place. But not only did she put me on place, it actually motivated me and taught me a huge life lesson that no, 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 no. When you really do want something, you stick to it. And from that day, um, we've been with each other. Uh, she went through everything with me. So I was projected to go to the NFL. I, remember, I went to Miami. I met her. Then I'm, football season is about to start now. I have the best season of my life. I had, um, I, had a, I was the first tight end to score a touchdown in 21 years. And it was a touchdown towards Howard University. It was huge. It was like, it was awesome, bro. I had a great season. And um, the next year was about to be like a promising year for me, right? For the NFL. I had the size as a tight end for the NFL, everything. First day of practice, um, where we have recruits there of spring ball practice. Um, I knew we had on the next Wednesday and I was we were able to go home for spring break. And I did not want to go home. And I'm telling the story for a specific reason because people listening to this are going to understand um, the importance of your gut and your heart. When I was home, we decided to start a YouTube channel, bro, because um, every time I would be with Ree or just around, people would tell me I need to start recording myself. You need to record. You need to record. I'm like, bro, I don't want to record. Long story short, Ree and I, just, we made a, a, a YouTube channel called Love Across the Hudson. We made that YouTube channel and... It started to pop, and I had the best time of my life. I felt alive for the first time in my life since playing basketball. I hated football. Football was a decision, a business decision. It got me a scholarship. It's paying for my school bills. I hated football. I fell in love with it, the, the, the recording. So I had to go back down to school. I did not want to be there, but I, I was a starting. I was one of the you know, potential captain of the team. First day of practice, teammate runs into my spine. Almost puts me to be paralyzed. I go into the hospital. Career's done. Mm-hmm. I'm in the hospital. I'm crying. I'm like, yo, how the hell did I make it this far in my life? And I was this close. If I have an opportunity to get in, just one NFL check would be good. You know, like hmm. everybody was banking on that. I got, I was freely with my, I got all my tattoos because I was so confident I was going to get it in the NFL that I don't care about my appearance and a regular job. Um, because this is what I want, I want my tattoos, so I'm gonna be a millionaire anyway. Long story short, bro, I was in the hospital, I was crying, and out of nowhere, I was like, oh my God, and my roommate was like, he was my teammate at the same time. He said, what happened? I said, oh my God, bro, this makes sense. He goes, what makes sense? I'm like, bro, I was never supposed to be a football player. I was never supposed to go to NFL, you know? Like, I use football as a tool to get where I'm at today, but this is gonna be another chapter in my book. This is another challenge I'm gonna have to get through. He was like, yo, you took the Xanax that they gave you? I'm like, no. <laughs> so I leave the room. When I leave the room, there's a rumor on campus that I was faking an injury. So not only was I couldn't walk, but I'm in my room, can't, can't uh, supposedly faking an injury, can't go to class, football career is over. I'm in my room, and um, 
my girlfriend's there with me. So she's helping me get up, helping me use the bathroom, put me in the shower. What happens is my L4, L5 came out so bad that it was probably, it, it, it hit my spinal cord, but it didn't tear, it didn't go through it. it my, so it, it, it kind of gave me a pre-paralyzed situation where I, I couldn't feel things in my legs and I couldn't walk. Does that make sense? So at that moment, I was like, yo, I gotta do something about this. So um, immediately the coaches tried to take my scholarship from me because I was hurt and they wanted to give it to somebody else. I read the whole scholarship. So that's when my business, the business side of me started to come out. Now I was already cutting hair. I was, I've read scholarships, I've read fine print. My dad used to teach me the importance of these things just in case people try to pull a fast one on you. They try to pull a scholarship from me because this coach was pulling mad scholarships from mad people for no reason. And when he tried to pull my scholarship, I fought, I won. I had one semester left. Now I was supposed to have two semesters left because I was a red shirt. I had, they only gave right. me one when I won my case. So I had to take 19 credits in a semester and I couldn't walk. I took 19 credits in one semester Immediately, <clears throat> I finished that semester off with a 4.0, graduated college, had nowhere to live. My girlfriend's father was like, come to New York City, you can live with us here in Washington Heights. So I go to Washington Heights, I live with my girl, and every day we woke up, our goal was to make a YouTube video, go to the gym. I, when I went through my injury, bro, I went up to 302 pounds. I was 300 pounds. So I can't be a coach and be overweight. So every day I made a game plan. I sat down and I said, yo, how can I make, how can I get myself out of this life? Being homeless again. I'm homeless again, right? I'm just having a place to stay. I, I took a piece of paper out and I said, how can I become an entrepreneur and make my own business and, you know, um, make Dream Fit. I had an idea of making a business called Dream Fit since I was 16. Because what I noticed is my friends did not want to talk about their feelings until I got them to do push-ups. And as soon as I got them to express their energy through working out, they started expressing their feelings to me. So I saw some magic behind that. So I learned that I can't help nobody with their dreams if I, if I don't move their body, but I can't help nobody with the body if I don't help them with their dreams. So immediately I was like, I'm gonna name my business Dream Fit. And I kept it as a secret when I graduated college. And I learned on, um, I would go around New York City, I'll make YouTube videos and say, look, I'm 300 pounds, I'm gonna lose 10 pounds. And as I'm losing weight, if you're watching me out there in the world and you're in New York, contact me, I will help you. And nobody contacted me. So I lost 10 pounds, nobody. After losing 30 pounds, people started to contact me. So I would jump train to train in 110 degree weather in New York City with kettlebells in my book bag, weighing over 100 pounds, and training people at the park, helping people lose weight. Then I started to get the attention of this one doctor who saw that I helped his client lose 100 pounds. He sent me another client. And I was stopping people from getting bypass surgery. And I was just doing a whole bunch of incredible things. Um, my work got even more efficient and better when I was applying the things I was learning from how to eat, move, and be healthy. I studied a lot of yeah. Paul Check. I've been studying Paul Check since I'm 27 now, probably since I was like 19. <laughs> so more. some things were too, his consciousness was too high for me at certain moments. So I couldn't agree with him on a lot of things. Long story short, after a year of doing that, some guy finds me. I show, he sees my YouTube channel. He sees that the fact that I play for Bob Hurley. He has a gym in one of the richest neighborhoods, if not the richest neighborhood uh, county in New York called Westchester, um, in the Jewish community. And he had a gym and he was a vice president for Golden Sachs. And oh, wow. he gave me the opportunity 
to come into his gym after losing his business partner and his head trainer. And he lived in, and the owner himself lived in Texas. And I told him that I can help his gym stop from failing and going out of business. How? I don't know, but I'll figure a way. And I got in there and I did exactly what I said I was going to do. So I would go and work every day. Same thing, 4.45, wake up, go to work early, no clients, and try to figure out studying marketing, studying these things. After a long day of doing research in the gym, trying to build a business, I will go back home. My girlfriend have auditions. We'll do auditions. We'll do, I'll give her speeches, motivational talks, everything to help my girlfriend stay strong with acting. So at the time, we're, we're together for three years and we're struggling, still trying to make it with her acting career. And um, I studied, basically I started managing her. I studied, you know, she taught me a lot of game with acting, but I did a lot of research on, on things as well. And we decided to fire her agent. We decided to get a new agent. We saved up money to get her new headshots. And then one of the things I knew was going to be important is getting her out of the environment of the hood. So moved her out. we moved out of the, her father's house. I was able to get my first apartment ever. And we set that apartment up with the mindset as a, as, as a, a business apartment. It wasn't meant to be an apartment to live in as far as uh, a, a home. So we set it up. It was a studio apartment. Half of it was with a bed, the other half was a couch, and with in front of the couch we had a green screen to do all of our auditions and things of that nature. After doing all of that, um, we kept on grinding, 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 and she she books say, uh, she books uh, Law and Order. She gets an episode on Law and Order. So when she gets the episode on Law and Order, we like, yo, we about to we about to blow up. Um, so we do the episode on Law and Order. It was crazy. Um, at the same time, when she was doing all that, I was supporting us financially, right? So my goal was for her not to work, right? Why? Because working was going to be a distraction. Um, and so I would go home. I would work all day, come home at night and do like four, three, four hours of auditions with her. And that was like every day of my life for like the past six years, bro. Six years. So... Um, the business is going good. I turned this business upside down to the part where the business owner wanted to sell me the business and then I had to make a decision. So one day I had this vision. I left the gym and um, I had a vision of the gym uh, burning down, right? And it was just like not literally burning down, but I'm saying like if this gym would have burned down, I'm left with no money. I'm left with no equity. I don't got equity in this business or nothing. So I went home and as I went home, my little brother calls me and he's like, Nate, um, you know, Aunt Paula just called me and said that, uh, Paulette called me and said, if you need anybody to help you start a business, let her know. She has a, a, a business partner. I was like, what the hell is the chances of me thinking about this whole thing and this huh. phone call coming in? So I decided to call her. She connects me with this guy in Hawaii named Tony. And Tony gives me mad game about business. And he gives me like OG game, you know? And I'm like, wow. And then he... It was gonna cost me about $500 to get started creating my own business. I gave him, I have $505 left. I was scared to spend the money because remember, I have my girlfriend I'm taking care of, I got a car, and I'm responsible for all the finances. My gut told me to do it, I did it. I jumped into it, I went back to the gym, um, I get my LLC, my official LLC, and I, what I'll do is I had clients moving in back into New York City, so I'll work at the gym six days a week, on the seventh day of the week, I'll go into New York City at four in the morning. Four o'clock is a special time for me, right? I go in the gym, yeah. I go in New York City at four in the morning. I'll work all day um, around the city, traveling around the city, 
receive payments that goes into my dream fit llc card just in case one day i need to start my own business or the gym burns down i have a whole i have clients i have a business established and i have everything i need to be able to move on i go back back and forth back and forth bro there was days i wake up on that tuesday or these days i started to lose hope and faith i used to go around to family dinners or go around to i bring my girlfriend to the gym and I was telling the world that I had the next biggest actress in the world on my hands. And people thought I was on drugs. You know what I'm saying? People thought I was crazy when I said, yo, one day I'm gonna be a full entrepreneur before 30 and I'm gonna be living off my own business and I'm gonna be doing coaching, holistic coaching, life coaching, nutrition. People thought I was on drugs, bro. Because when people gave me $50 an hour and I know that they were making the other 50 or they were making 100 and they were only paying me 50 i'm like what makes you better than me to, what makes why are you getting 100 and i'm only getting 50. what's the difference oh you because you know about business you know about um taxes i don't know about that stuff i don't know about credit so i studied that i studied what the what, what, what put the gap into between me and someone who had money and i studied rich people right so and I remember, I mastered that craft. I took that toolbox everywhere, bro. So I want to get to business, I'm getting into it. I want to get into getting my girl to be one of the biggest actors in the world. I'm going to make that happen too. You got me? So I would give my girl homework on, she had to study 14-page scripts and know it by heart by the time I got home. And if she did it, then basically it was an argument. Like I was like, I was like, like mama mentality 100% in our relationship so we can make her dreams come true, right? And um, one day I come home, it was a long day. Um, I woke up and I'm like, yo, maybe I am crazy. Maybe maybe I am crazy that, you know, all everything I want to come true is gonna come true now, you know? And then I started to really just take myself down a road of thinking like, but maybe I'm not crazy because the better, you know, if I want a bigger tree, I have to wait longer for that tree to grow, right? And if I just stopped feeding the tree, the tree would never hit its potential. So I'm like, I never thought about quitting. That never was an option for me because I made a contract with myself, a life contract, and I made my girl do it too, that we'll rather die trying than not making it at all and quitting. So mm. we one day I come home, a couple during that week I come home with my girlfriend, and bro, I had the longest day of my life. I come home, my girlfriend's like, babe, I got an audition. I'm like, damn. Because when I do the auditions, bro, it's just not reading. It's reading, motivating her, inspiring her, uplifting her, all these things in one. It's just not like, okay, let's just do the audition. So she gets the audition. I read the character. We break down the character. And she breaks down the character to me. And I was like, oh, hold on. And bro, at this time, mm -hmm. we're probably like 200 auditions in, in 2019. We're 200, 200 in. Right, so I did 200 auditions with this girl, right? <laughs> but this one, I'm like, oh, this one, this one, this one's it. And she's like, I said, this sounds like you. So my girl could have been a very smart student, but she wanted to be an actor since she was a baby. So in school, she was a good student, but she could have been an extra good student if she wanted to, if she put her all of her energy there. The character that she was gonna play in this one audition was the person she could have been in high school. So I'm like, yo, this is like living your second life. She's mm -hmm. like, oh, I kind of like that. I kind of like that thought. So, bro, it's like 8 o'clock at night, and we're doing the audition. And as we're doing an audition, I stop her in the middle of it. And I said, you're going to book this audition. She goes, I know, babe. She goes, but let's do it right now. 
um, because you have to get to sleep. It's late. It's like 1130. I'm like, okay. So we do an audition. It came up great. We did it in my kitchen. So we put the green screen up in my kitchen, my little studio. And, um, and when we went to lay down, bro, there was times in 2015, uh, 16, 17, in the middle of the night, I used to wake my girl up at three in the morning, in the middle of the night, scaring her. She went, what? What? I'll be up wide awake. I'm like, yo, we're going to make it in life. We're going to make it. She's <laughs> like, babe, babe, stop doing that. Stop doing it. I'm like, no, you don't understand. The mindset is everything. Putting your heart into something. If you want, I've been doing this my whole life. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. So, bro, every time I used to wake her up, and this time it was like 12 at night, we was going to sleep. And I said, yo, we're going to make it. This one's it. This one's it. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. She sends the audition in. After she did the audition, we did like three auditions. That week, she books Blue Bloods, which is a TV show, to do an episode. So we're like, oh, you booked Blue Bloods. At the same time of booking Blue Bloods, she did a movie uh, recently. And that movie just got accepted into uh, Sundance Festival. So that's huge. So we're like, oh, shit, you just got into Sundance. Like, this is, this is, this is turning up. And, um, and, and then she gets Blue Bloods. After filming Blue Bloods, we're, listening, we're trying to wait for Saved by the Bell. Then we get a call from Saved by the Bell, and they told me they're going to put her on first class on the way to L.A. to do a second audition. Bro, mm. we were freaking out. I'm like, yo, this is it. She takes the first class flight. She gets to L.A. They put her in a five-star hotel in Studio City. And while she's doing, when she's uh, about to go in the next day, I give her this biggest speech of her life the night before her audition. And I said, when you go into the audition room tomorrow, you're going to go in with a couple girls from L.A. When you go in tomorrow, before you do your audition, I want you to thank everybody that has given you this opportunity and let them know that where you're from, this is not, this doesn't go down. You're from Washington Heights. Tell them where you're from, getting an opportunity like this, you'll never, ever, ever be ungrateful for. And let them know how ungrateful for it, how grateful you are for this opportunity and give them the best performance they've ever seen in their life. She went in there the next day. She did exactly that. And her audition was so good. Everybody in the room, including the camera person, started to cry. She leaves. Wow. She tells me that everybody cried. I said, do you understand what you just did? You got the job. She's like, babe, I don't know. There's a lot of competition. I'm like, yo, you got the damn job. You got it. <clears throat> she comes home. They fire back. She comes home. She comes back on a Wednesday. They, got, they give her seven days from that Wednesday to the next Wednesday. They were going to give her uh, a notice. They're going to let her know by. I told her they're going to let you know by Friday. She goes, no, babe, next Thursday and Wednesday. I said, no, they want you. They're going to tell you right before the weekend. At 8.30, I mean, at eight, um, on, a, on that Friday night, I was making dinner. And I said to her, they're going to call you tonight. And it was like 6 o'clock. She was like, no, they're not. 7 o'clock. They still didn't call. I was like, they're going to call at 8.30. Because it's LA time, 5.30. And they called at 8.30. I, I had the phone ready and everything, bro. I already knew they were going to call. I had my phone ready. I deleted videos to have space. And I recorded her getting a phone call that she booked the lead role on Saved by the Bell reboot. And um, wow. she's going to be the... She has became the first Dominican and Puerto Rican woman in America on TV to lead a show. Wow. And that is huge. And right there, bro, I said to myself, I fucking knew it. I knew it wasn't impossible. I knew I did this every, I did this with my life so many times that the impossible comes possible. I, I, I would work my ass off to master any craft to become the best at it and to make it or I'll die trying. 
So she gets it. We come to LA. We we get her situated with the apartment. And then now I'm flying back and forth from LA to New York. And then they flew us out to Sundance, to Utah, Park City, Utah, to do to watch her movie. And when I watched the movie, I didn't know she was one of the main characters in the movie. I'm like, yo, you didn't tell me you was one of the main characters. People start to come up to us after the after it. Jesse Williams, who's a famous actor, a bunch of famous people. The lady that created um, one of the biggest shows on HBO right now. Oh man, what is your name? Oh, Insecure, the lady of Insecure, the, the oh, created wow. main character. Issa, I think is her name is. She came up to us. Mad people came up to us, bro. And I'm like, yo, I knew I had the biggest thing, the next biggest thing in acting. You know, like, because I saw myself in her, like, when you're, you have the potential, but if you put the mentality and, and, and work ethic on mastering the craft, I knew we were going to make it happen. So it took five years, you know, it took five years. So I had to rewire my whole girl system. We had to rewire what music she listened to, what podcast. She was not allowed to watch scary movies or sad movies. She wasn't allowed to listen to sad music. When I first met her, she listened to Adele. Hello, it's me. <laughs> I'm like, why are you listening to this? Why are you listening to this? This is sad. You can't listen to sad music. So we started to listen to a lot of inspiring music. Uh, growing up for me, Drake was a huge... Drake was like the biggest thing in life for me, man. He was like... He taught me inspiration at a young age because he, so he spoke things into existence. Nobody liked Drake when he first came out because he said he was going to be the best. He talked highly of himself. Nobody liked him. I loved him. Um, and I put it on to Drake. There's another rapper called Russ. He spoke things into existence. He, yeah, he talks about Russ. his music. Love Russ. So I put her on all the, all these, all, all, with all this music, change of mindset. I would wake up at 5 in the morning while I'm getting dressed and I put like a motivational thing of Tony Robbins, David Goggins. And I put it on while she's sleeping. I'll wake her up to it. And I'm like, when you wake up, finish this video. Like, bro, I was very, very on top of everything with her, bro. When we did her contracts, I did all her contracts. I read them. I did everything. She gets to LA. Now, when she's here, I get to LA. And LA showed me my shadows. So when I got to LA, mm -hmm. I never focused on um, how much I worked and how, how, how much I was overworking myself. I never, mm -hmm. never entertained that. I always ignored that. You got me? My ego helped me get through those days. So what happened when I was in LA is that I started to witness myself go through a situation where um, I would wake up at 5 in the morning in LA. My girl has to be on set by 7. I will make her get there by 6 and sit in her trailer. And I said, when you come to work, you're going to outwork everybody. You're going to come early. You're going to know all your lines for the whole week, not just for the day. You're going to, bro, on set, they get an assistant to take your shoes off, to give you like a massage, to give you food. I told her she's not allowed to accept none of that because you, you want to keep that mentality. People get to Hollywood and, 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 and get bougie and get lazy and fall for the hype. And the number one thing we weren't doing, it was that. We didn't, we got our, she got her check, which basically can make somebody rich. You understand? She got a big check. But I told her the importance of how fast you can go broke. You can go, you can go get you a Mercedes Benz right now and go put a down payment in the house. But you're gonna be broke. You know what I'm saying? Play it smart. So we did everything the right way, right? And um, when I got to LA, I'll drop off at work. Bro, I'm up at six in the morning just walking around LA. People thought I was like a dope fiend. People thought I was crazy because I was doing like a walk in the morning, meditating, listening to my music. But I was too yang. I walk up to people and I was just, mm. I was just too yay. Like I would like 
I would just be too yang. I'd be too much. People would tell me, take a deep breath in LA. And I'm like, what do you mean take a deep breath? Like, let's get to work. Let's get things done. <laughs> so it freaked me out, like how people were able to go for a walk at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, bro. I'm like, how do you go for a walk at 12 o'clock in New York? This is prime time to work. So when I went back to New York, I hated LA when I first came here my first time for two weeks. And I went back to New York and it hit me. And I said, oh my God, I don't want to be here no more in New York. I want to go back to LA because LA showed me a side that I haven't seen in my life. See, it showed me a side that it's okay, you can relax. It's warm. People are nice and friendly. They're calmer. They're not in a rush. People on the highway, most of the time you run into traffic on, in, in LA, it's because people are driving slow. There's a lot of people on the road at the same time driving slow. So I'm zooming through people when I'm driving and it showed how young I was. So when I went back mm -hmm. to New York, I was like, oh man, I don't know about this. And it also, I also noticed how much I was overworking and how much responsibility right. I did put on myself. I started to see the side effects. Now I was doing all this work to get my girl to Hollywood and now she's in Hollywood and now I'm in New York by myself. Mm -hmm. And I didn't put enough focus on how I was gonna be a, a boss a bigger boss, a bigger boss enough to be able to leave my situation and just go to New York, Hollywood. Now, we had the finances. My girl was like, look, I got paid enough to take care of both of us now. Just quit your job and come. But bro, I built so many relationships in the coaching business in New York that I couldn't just leave everybody behind. And if I left the gym, the gym shuts down. The gym is shut yeah. down because the gym can't, I was running the business. I, I, was, I was the reason why the gym was open. So everybody knew, oh, Nate may leave, Nate, Nate may leave. At the same time, the owner found out all this information. He came up and gave me the gym. He gave me a number for the gym to buy at a very cheap cost. And now I'm like, wow, I can definitely buy this gym. We can actually take one of her checks and buy this gym. And uh, she said, if you want me to buy the gym, I'll buy the gym. And I was like, really? She was like, yeah. And I was like, okay. And then I, 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 I just had this gut feeling not to do it. I don't know what it was. And um, I was like, yo, I just have this gut feeling, I'm sorry. So everybody was kind of sad that I was like, saying like, my soul is telling me no. People in New York are like, bro, what are you talking about your soul? What are you talking yeah, about? Use right. your mind, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm, I'm talking to Wall Street people, bro. I'm not talking to people, I'm talking to people who financial, in the finance business, you know, not in the heart business, not in the love business. So they would tell me, listen, man, listen, listen to this. You, you can't pass this up. My financial advisor is like, Nate, you can't pass this up. Take it. Take it. It's a steal. And I was like, yo, I'm sorry, guys. I, I just have a bad feeling about it. As soon as I turned down the deal, a week later, COVID hits New York. Mm. It came from China. And Jeez. the first first place it really hit, it hit a little a little bit in, um, in Seattle. And they locked it down and controlled it. And then it hit my neighborhood in New York, in Westchester. And it was like literally... And I was start. I started to tell my manager, "I'm like, we're gonna have to shut down. We're gonna have to shut down." Two weeks later, we had to shut down. The governor shut uh, shut us down. I get on a plane with my dog. I come to LA, and now I'm in LA. And like, I'm like, all right, I'm a quarantine here for two weeks. And then I'm like, yo, I just wish I could take my clients here. COVID went longer than two weeks, obviously. And then I had to, And then I I noticed that oh shit, this may be home for me. Which was tough because now my gym is shut down. I lost my business. I lost my I had to move out of my apartment and on FaceTime. And um, now I'm in, I'm in LA when my girl's going to work. I'm stuck in the house by myself, not knowing what to do. 
you know? So I went through a depression from uh, February, no, March of 2020 to about September. When you saw me at the Institute, I was in the, I was depressed. I was in depression. And after you seen Angie check work with me, you obviously know I was depressed because my, my paperwork was so bad that they made me the example at school as uh, how to deal with a very stressed out, sick person. And I was the example. So um, what I started to do is I said, I'm going to work on my business dream fit now. So I, w- I worked on the logo more and I had out of 100 clients, I only had 10 people come over to FaceTime. And then I'm like, I have to build this. I have to build this. At the same time, I started to know, I knew, I noticed the importance of my education with the uh, Czech Institute. And um, we had HLC2 come up. I was so depressed and out of it that I didn't think I was going to handle I didn't think I was going to be able to handle going. Um, I did it anyway. I went down. Um, that's when we met. And um, what I noticed is I was messed up. I noticed I was out of balance. But I also noticed how ahead I was in life. Because when I lost the gym, I, ha- I started to doubt myself. I was like, I- maybe I'm never going to be able to make money again. Maybe I'm never going to. I don't know. This weird doubt came out from nowhere. I don't really struggle with it. But mm-hmm. after losing your whole job in the community of people... Um, you come a little scared, a little nervous. And then what happened was, is that my girlfriend became the breadwinner in the house and she became the success in the house and I felt like a failure. So I, I was lost, bro. I was, I don't, I had all these different mind games going on. And, um, when I, st- when I went down to the Czech Institute, I was working on myself, but when I was there, it also showed me like, if I'm not mistaken, you and I, we're probably, and you, I, Christina, and a couple of people, like out of 30-something of us, or 20, 30 of us, there was only like three, four of us that actually were doing coaching. Everybody was there yeah. wanting to get into coaching. And then I noticed I was one of the youngest ones there. And yeah. then I know, and I'm like, oh, wow, I'm actually a lot, I'm ahead, I'm way ahead of the game than I thought I was. That kind of boosted mm-hmm. my confidence. And then through the, the, you know, after you and I speaking, Matt and I speaking, Angie giving me a long speech, I noticed that, like, yo, I'm actually doing very well in my life. I came a long way, right? Oh, shit, fuck yeah. I thought about it when I hurt my back in college. Remember, I hurt my back and I lost a little bit. I lost 100 pounds after that. I, 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 I ran a business after that. I moved my girlfriend out of her, her father's house with me. I got a car for us. I got us a puppy. I did all these things. I supported us. I paid for her headshots. I paid for her transportation. I paid for everything for her to get to where she's at. Now she's here. And now the universe was giving me an opportunity to work on myself. And I was like, oh, now I see what's going on. So I had this, I had this vision of, oh, wow, you know what I may do? I, I, you know, when the show was done filming, I was telling my girl when I was first here, we're, we're going to leave New York. And I decided, no, maybe I have to stay in L.A. You know, my, my gut's telling me to stay in LA, but my mind and my business mind is telling me to go back to New York. So when the show ended, we, we decided to stay and um, I was like, let's get a house. Um, um, I, I can see myself getting a house that has a, a guest house and I can build a gym in it. And uh, so a couple months later, um, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. And I was like, maybe I shouldn't get that. It started to get real, bro, when I started having real famous people get in touch with me. And I started to work with, I was getting people with results out here now. 
I was getting people results in New York, but I was getting people a lot of results here, finally. Like, like, cause I had the opportunity. Now, I came out in COVID trying to build a business in COVID. Nobody's even wanting to be in person, you know? So it was tough to sell myself. But uh, some, you know, my work, my name started to get out there from helping people in Hollywood. And um, I, had a, I had Corday um, start working with me, who's a, 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 he was nominated for a Grammy last year. His first album, wow, right? Amazing. And uh, he's a big time. He's a big time rap. And and I wasn't. I'm not. A, I wasn't a huge fan of Corday, but I knew of him being like the next J Cole in the game. You know, we 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 knew that in hip hop. So I meet Corday, and I'm working with Corday, and I'm working with a whole bunch of other actors. And I'm like, yo, in my mind, I'm like, yo, maybe it's a good time to go look into that gym thing again. Um, and I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe not. And then I remember one day Corday was working out and. <laughs> in my house. I had him come to my house and I had an office. I had a bedroom that was an office and we did a workout in my house. And that day hit me. I was like, bro, I got a Grammy nominated artist in my house, in my bedroom working out. I got to go make the jump and believe in myself mm -hmm. to go open up a gym. Yeah. So yeah, the proof, the proof, bro. So immediately I went a hundred percent with, I kept on going with dream fit. Um, with my business, growing my business. And then we looked for a house and then one day I just woke up in the middle of the night, basically at six in the morning. Earlier, um, like I, I woke up, trained my client. I was really tired this one day. I went to go take a nap and I and I went, I got out of the bed and went to my computer and I had this gut feeling just to check on Zillow and I found the house, got in contact, came to the house, fell in love with the house, and they had a garage slash guest room. I mean guest house that they, they just did. And I looked at it and I, I looked at my girl and I said, this is the gym. And um, we left, put the application in. It's a true story. Put the application in. Um, and we, we were um, in, comp in competition with a guy that was in stocks who offered them one year. So we went to rent the house first with the option of buying. Um, and uh, we put our application in and the guy went through the same thing. Because eventually the owners of this house want to sell. So we were in competition with a guy that wanted to put up the whole year of rent up front and pay them. Mm. And we could do the same thing, but financially we're just like, that's not going to be, that's not, we're not going to do that. The owner of the house gave us the house instead of him. Two young minorities in a white neighborhood. I'm in, I'm in, a, I'm in the hills in L.A., where all the celebrities and rich people live, gave us the opportunity to rent his house because the dude went on my website and saw all my YouTube videos and saw wow. my energy and saw my story and thought that I deserve to be here. Wow. And I was like, yo, that's crazy how the universe works. Sheesh. Now, the difference that I needed to be in this house, bro, to operate the gym, it was going to be $1,000 extra a month to what we were already paying in Studio City, which was a lot of money. Uh, we were paying a lot of money already, so it was gonna be a, an additional thousand. So I told my girl, I'm gonna build the business up um, to, I'm gonna pay a thousand dollar rent from the gym and also help with the bills. So I said, trust me, I'm gonna do it. Now bro, between you and I, I didn't know how I was gonna do it, but I'm like, yo, <laughs> trust me, I'm gonna do it. I get, um, uh, we get the house, Two days later, my girlfriend's like laughing and oh my God, in the car, oh my God, oh my God. I'm like, yo, what are you doing over there? Come to find out, my girlfriend put this thing on GoFundMe 
and send it to all my clients that I helped back in New York and talked about my whole life, everything I've done in my life, how I, after, you know, getting through all the struggles in my life, how I came into, I went into work every day and I gave my clients 100% and I gave them my all. And bro, I did. I, anytime a client had a goal, I helped them get it and I went above and beyond. I'll go to, I'll go to the supermarket with them. I'll just do so much for my clients to get the results, bro. I came in, <laughs> On at four in the morning, five in the morning for clients, and she wanted to raise ten thousand dollars to help me get established here in the gym. And um, she she wanted she she put she sent it out and she put the due date to be for a month. That's the goal to get it in a month. She hit ten thousand dollars in seven hours. Sheesh. And yeah, man. And she sat me down. You can look you, you can look it up on YouTube. It's on Love Across the Hudson. Our YouTube channel. You can actually look up our whole journey on YouTube. Uh, we recorded the whole thing, and um, she put it. She put it on. She she sat me down and she told me, bro. And yo, uh, I had no. I, I couldn't hold back like crying. And that's the first time I ever cried on like camera. We made so many videos and surprises, bro. It, it was the most magical thing I ever had. I end up going to sleep that night with twelve thousand dollars in the GoFundMe. Now, what was the difference I needed from living in an apartment building to living in a house was $12,000. Mm-hmm. I had the 12000 Then woke up the next day and had $14,000 there. So, took the fourteen. Now, I already have money saved in a DreamFit account to start a gym one day, right? Remember, I was going into New York City two years ago, yeah. working all night and in, 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 uh, in day in the city, running around, you know, from 4 in the morning to 12 o'clock at night to make money to put into this account just in case this opportunity came. And I was able to use that money, and I built a beautiful gym. I hired a painter, put the painting up. I hired some people to make my logo into a neon light. Um, I hired I hired a whole bunch of people, bro. And I put the gym together. And I moved in on the 26th, and the gym was done by the 28th. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Two days later, I, I, I made everything happen, man. So, you know, I know this was a long story, but... My number one thing that I, I, I wanted to get across in the story is that when you really believe in something, you feel it in your gut, you feel it in your heart. Bro, you go with it and sign a life contract of doing it if you feel like it enough. You know what I'm saying? Feel like it enough. You believe in yourself and you and you really believe that you can do something, you gotta go at it, bro. Because life is black and white when you give up on something you love. Love is color, you know? When I think about love, mm-hmm. I think about color. When I think about being unhappy, I think about looking at life with the lenses of only seeing everything being in black and white. You can't enjoy the trees, you can't enjoy, you know, the beautiful sky and sun. So that's how I'm at today. So now I'm, I'm full, full time running DreamFit. Um, I'm starting, um, I have DreamFit merchandise coming out. Um, um, I have DreamFit meal prep coming out. I have an app coming out for people they can subscribe to monthly. I have a course, I, like I said, I lost 100 pounds, and after teaching people how to lose weight, and weight, and weight, and weight, I was like, I gotta put a course together because it can save me a whole two sessions with a client if I can just send them the course. Instead of them paying me hourly for it, they can just buy a course for an affordable price, and then when they come into work, we can get straight to work. So I, I created yeah. a course on nutrition and fat loss. Um, what else did I do? Oh, what's in the works? Um, I'm working with a lot of projects with actors, so. There's times when HBO will call me and um, like I had an actor from HBO and we, we had to get him in shape and I actually got him in too much of shape. Like the kid is ripped up to the part where 
when he comes into yeah. my gym, he works out with a shirt off now. You know, like he's he's just yeah. too ripped up for the part. Um, I have another actor that I'm working with. We got her in shape for her show. It's the number one show on Apple TV. Um, I'm keeping my girlfriend in shape for Save by the Bell. Um, we're working out. I manage her career too, so um, there's a good chance that I'm getting her. Um, you know, I'm, I'm negotiating for some endorsement deals right now, so I do all that, the business side of that. Um, I'm hiring um, a marketing team for my company. I'm hiring um, a website um, optimizer, someone who's going to automate everything on my website and make it work. Just, just optimize it. I'm doing a lot of stuff right now. I'm doing a lot of stuff, man. So that's where I'm at today, man. And uh, I have a yeah. lot of dreams that I still want to get after, you know? Absolutely. I mean, one, Nate, thank you so much for sharing so openly and vulnerably about your entire story from taking us from when you were just a little kid, just overcoming homelessness, drug addiction, you know, being part of a, a separated family, you know, losing family members all the way up until, you know, you reach that that early childhood age where you start to realize like, man, it's like my life is like a movie and it, and it truly is one. It's an, it's an unbelievable story on what is possible when you make that life contract and you go after all of the things that you have already painted in your mind as a fact of it happening and doing it in an empowering way that's going to lead you to where you want to go. And uh, man, it's just an incredible story, man, about what is possible and everything that you and Ree have been through the way that y'all have supported each other throughout this whole process is amazing. How she's been there for you, how you've been there for her, how you have love across the Hudson that really shows just how much love y'all have for each other as a partnership, how much love you have for each other's individual goals and how both of you help each other within those individual goals and those partnership goals is, is absolutely beautiful. And I think so many people are going to take so much away from that. And, you know, just knowing, like, I know we just met a couple of months ago, but now I feel like I know you so much more at a deeper level. And I'm so excited to continue to build our friendship and our brotherhood. And I know there's going to be, you know, no shortage of ways that we're going to be able to help expand each other's minds, consciousness, businesses, and essentially help other people do the same thing. Yeah, man. Yeah, 100%, man. And yeah, I, when I was uh, telling the story, I, I, I happened just to get into like, when I do the story, every time I tell the story, I get into like, I get, I'm reliving it, you know, and there's parts of the story that I, I there's still, the, I probably only told you 50% of the story. There's like so much that I missed out on. Um, like to this day right now, my mom, my mom is, um, she's trying to get clean, you know, and my dad is in, my dad is um, in a program now and my brothers and I take care of my dad. So we all contribute towards this program and, and financially um, to live today. And um, I had two little brothers doing the story too, which I don't want to miss out on. I had, uh, you know, the little brothers that went through all this with me. And um, my young Brandon, the middle one, is now a Port Authority policeman who is basically a cop that's responsible for terrorist attacks on the bridges to New York and New Jersey, the Holland Tunnel, um, the Lincoln Tunnel. Um, so he had, he's like a special forces cop and the job, the percentage of getting that job is like 1%. So he made wow. the impossible possible. He graduated college um, last year as well. And um, so I was the first one to graduate. My brother's the second one and the youngest one graduates in May. 
and the youngest one will be coming to Los Angeles to be a part of DreamFit. He'll be my first employee of DreamFit. Ah, that's amazing. So, yeah, man. So, and um, yeah, my girlfriend, you can, um, if people will look up Saved by the Bell Reboot, she plays Daisy. Uh, her name is Haskiri Velasquez. Um, and you can, if people will listen, they can, you know, do a little more research, but she's very inspiring as well. She's a very powerful woman. And uh, we got two puppies. And uh, yeah, man, we're, Came a long way, man. And uh, thank you for allowing me to tell the story. And the number one goal of the, the, the story itself is that you never know what part of the journey someone's on. And mm. that's why I never want to try to miss any parts because a lot, as you start to work with clients and you really dig deep with clients, you recognize that most people's problems really come from their childhood. And right. uh, it's something that they're unconscious about, you know? And... Um, when I when I coach those kind of clients, I have to put them back in their imagination as a child again, um, mm. to be able to get them to open up to the feelings that they had when they were a child, as if I'm talking to the little girl, little boy within them, and right. um, and then that you know when you wake that child up, you wake the client up, and you turn on the imagination again, and you turn on the intuition and things in that nature of a human being. So, yeah, man, I really appreciate you for letting me on, man. Do you have any questions before we go? Man, last question. Where, where everyone can find you? Because I know people are going to want to find you on, on the gram, on YouTube, on all that. So let, let's get all that out there. Of course, man. So on Instagram, my um, Instagram name is Be Great With Nate. Okay, so Be Great With Nate. But besides with, W-I-T-H, is W-I-T. Okay, so Be Great With Nate is my... Instagram, um, I have a podcast called Be Great With Nate. So it's actually with, W-I-T-H. I couldn't get that official name on Instagram because somebody had it. Um, they're not even using the page. Um, so that's my Instagram and my podcast. Um, and if you look for me on YouTube, I have two YouTube channels. So if you want to watch a YouTube channel where you see my girlfriend and I come up from 2015 to 2021 and where we are today, it's called Love Across the Hudson. Um, we called it Love Across the Hudson. I was from New Jersey. She's from New York. And it was Love Across the Hudson, right? So um, you can look that channel up. Um, you will see everything. And you'll see where we're at today. And you'll see where we started. And then I have a YouTube channel where I, I make videos on holistic health as far as digestion issues. Um, you know, uh, issues with overeating, uh, weight loss issues, mindset. Everything you can think of with, to make you better. Is on the YouTube channel and it's Dream Fit with Nate. Okay, so and then my website is dreamfitllc.com where you can find all these things. Let's go. And I'll make sure that I link all that to the show notes so people can easily click it and find it all. Also, I have an episode with Alvi and on my um, Mr. You Can Too on my podcast that you can look up and you can listen Absolutely. to, which came out really well. We did a few months back. It came out really good. So if you like this yeah, one, go we'll check that one out because his story is very inspiring as well. Absolutely. And I think that's what's so beautiful about like, you know, the journey that we're on and especially really embodying holistic health and helping other people essentially be the greatest version of themselves is that it allowed us to meet each other, right? Along yeah. the path. And I can only imagine what, amazing things we're going to create and uh, it's just a matter of time until that happens 
100%, bro. 100%, man. Seriously, 100%. It's awesome, man. We got some big oh, things coming. We got some big things coming. Yeah, y'all stay tuned for that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my brother, I appreciate you so much. I honor you. And, man, thank you again to keep doing what you do because I'm inspired every day that I see you. Thank you, bro. Same thing to you, bro. Same thing to you. I'm very inspired by you, too. Likewise, I told you you're the first person um, that I came across that uh, reminds me so much of me, but you mastered uh, the balance, and I haven't. I'm very yang, and you're very, I say you're more yin than I am. Um, I'm very on fire all the time, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you've you got a cool feeling to you, you know what I'm saying? So uh, you remind me of the opposite version of myself. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's the, we, we are the yin and the yang. You know what I'm saying? We bring that balance to each other. So <laughs> we definitely we, do. <laughs> we, 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 go, we, go, we go get each other, keep going on that level. So we already there. I've already imagined it. 100%. All right. Be easy, my brethren. You too, my brother.